house bars. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of being here this morning. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you for ordaining this family, Father, so that we have we can find encouragement in each other as we fellowship with each other, even with all the crazy limitations on us at this point, Father. We're just so grateful for your grace, your mercy, your love. These are the things that keep us plugging along and keep us properly motivated to bring glory to you, to be pleasing to you, Father. We do pray for those in the congregation that can't be here with us for a variety of reasons, that we want them to know that we're with them in spirit, and that we pray that they return to us soon. We also pray for those in this world that are still lost without hope, Father, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late, Father. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this one a time to rejoice, a time to give thanks, a time to sit back and appreciate you, Father. We're just so grateful for this time to do it. We just ask for your blessings on this message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this is a Thanksgiving special. Um, the Spirit wants me to start with a very simple statement that please focus on gratitude this week. Make that your focus, not the tradition of it, not the, none of that, just Focus on gratitude. As the Spirit's been pointing out, there really is just so much to be grateful for. So we're just going to slow down this morning and do a quick survey in Holy Scripture on this topic of gratitude, of thanksgiving. So let's begin with what might be one of our most commonly visited passages over the past few years. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. So this has quickly come to the forefront in the last few years from this pulpit. So crisp, so succinct, right? Um, impregnated, I guess, with so much of what we've been studying over the past few years, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it just keeps coming back to us for obvious reasons. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, reads, Rejoice always. How about that? For the start of the week of Thanksgiving, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, we've got a smattering of people. I'm thinking that, you know, 
you know, Tammy's, going, Tammy's mourning over here. But in all fairness to the Holy Scripture, it says give thanks in all circumstances. In some way, she has to find a way to give thanks to God. Just like the rest of you, as you're facing a week of, who knows, family gatherings, um, you know, work, dealing with this virus thing. I mean, just give thanks in all circumstances, not just in the ones that tickle your fancy, let's say, or, or make you feel good or make you feel well even. All circumstances we ought to give thanks to. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Up here on the board from Eucharisteo, uh, that's the Greek word that's translated give thanks. It's present tense. Now listen. It's present tense, active voice, imperative mood. Which really means it's a command to habitually do personally. So Holy Scripture puts it right square on your shoulders to give thanks. It's a, it's a command. That's the imperative, right? It's a command. It's present. something you do all the time. It's active voice. It means it's something you do. No doubts. No gray areas. This is for you. It's a command to give thanks. Not a suggestion even. It's a command. Means to give thanks. In context, means to be thankful for God's good grace. I think the first thing to note then in this familiar passage, I mean, we're all familiar with this passage, right? Is that giving thanks is a command. The reason I bring this up, especially at the outset of our little survey here on Holy Scripture regarding gratitude is this. My hope is that you gain a better understanding of the nature of God's commands. Not just that they exist. Not just, yes, yes, I'm supposed to obey. Yes, I'm blessed when I do. What about the nature of them themselves? Starting with that they're not burdensome. So that leaves the whole adolescent, you know, groaning and moaning behind. They're not burdensome. Rather, they are commanded because they are good for us. They're good for you. That's the nature of a command. It's more like a rudder than it is, you know, a rod. It's more like a, a guiding principle than it is some, you know, oppressive hammering type stroke, you know. It's, it's, it's a command because you should do this thing. That's my will for you. I know what's best. You're going to be blessed. Others will be blessed. My economy goes round and round. This is what's righteous and good. So that's the nature of God's commands. They're not, it's not a whip as it is in religion. So think about that. If a dad commands his child, you know, don't play soccer near the road. And then the very next day, that same dad commands his child, have some gratitude toward your mother for all that she's done for you. Is one of these commands any less of a command than the other? No. No. But here's the poignant question. Is one command any less 
the source of blessing for the child than the other? No. You might say, well, you know, it's easy to see the blessing of not being run over by a car. But the blessing of showing gratitude seems maybe more for the receiver, for the mom, than the child. And that's exactly what your human flesh wants you to think. That's what the human flesh wants you to think. But that's not the way God thinks. Certainly not the way Jesus thinks either. Up here on the board, Acts 20, 35b. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So if you show gratitude to your mom, she's receiving it, but you're giving it. Who's more blessed, according to Jesus? The one giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So that command becomes something the Spirit's trying to teach you right now. It's a blessing. It's not a burden. It's not a curse. It's not a whip. It's not a, it's not, it's a blessing. So you are blessed when you give. Those are Jesus' own words. The Lord's commands are all given to the benefit of the one performing them. Not that other people don't benefit. It's not that God's good name isn't benefiting. But the point of this morning's message is thanksgiving for you. What happens when you give thanks? So the Lord's commands are all given to the benefit of the one performing them. Just sharing, I was having several discussions this week um, with folks from the congregation. And the realization has been just this very thing. Um, I, think, I think a lot of people understand academically what the Spirit's saying here this morning regarding the blessings that come with obedience. I think a lot of people get it. They say, okay, yeah, of course, you know, to obey God, that's probably the right thing to do. And, you know, he's got a heavy hand, so going to go on a limb and say it's the right thing to do. But it's taken them years to actually experience it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to experience it. To actually begin abiding in obedience. Not just knowing it and, you know, going through the motions, but actually saying and knowing and feeling it even with true wisdom and conviction, this is where I need to be. I need to be slotted in here. It's not a mental thing. It's who I am. I am obedient, right? Imperative, active voice. I am obedient. This is who I am. And all of a sudden, it becomes you. It's no longer just something you do. You know, I did that one. I did that one. No, no, no. It becomes you. It's, it's who you are. 
And go ahead and think freely that that's Christ in a nutshell. Christ was perfectly that, perfectly obedient, because that's who he was. You see, he didn't go around going, okay, Dad, I'm going to do this, 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 and today you're happy, now I'm going to go over here, like we do. We have little check boxes. That's not becoming. It's unbecoming because it's religious. So it's taken these people who have shared, and I always appreciate it, there's no condemnation there, right? There's no judgment in my voice whatsoever. I mean, none of us have this perfectly down pat. But it's taken them years to move from academia to experience. And I think that's normal. It's part of sanctification. It's no different than a young child who's commanded to forgive their sibling and does so begrudgingly at first. But as they grow up and their love begins to mature, they begin to realize the value of forgiving others. The value of it. Not just for the other person, but primarily for themselves. And so they want to forgive. It's who they've become. They've become more like Jesus, more forgiving. That's who they are. So they want to forgive, understanding that they are blessed even for doing so, twofold. Number one, they lift the burden from the shoulders of the offender. Uh, no one who has the love of Christ wants to oppress another person. That's not Christ-like at all. Wasn't it Jesus that ate with you know, sinners and tax collectors? Prostitutes and what have you? Did he, try, did he spend his time oppressing them? No. So, first, this person who wants to forgive, they lift the burden from the shoulders of the offender, and then they are also set free from the burden of anger of unforgiveness, of hanging on to something to their own detriment. Uh, maybe, I don't know about you, but maybe the most miserable people I know on earth are the most unforgiving. Honestly. I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking right now, some of the most miserable people I've ever known are the ones who are the most unforgiving. It's a pattern. It's, it's, it's a plague. It's a disease not to forgive. As we know, forgiveness is at the very heart of reconciliation, and reconciliation, by definition, means to restore friendly relations between two parties. In other words, reconciliation promotes peace. So there's an end goal, even, in view for the forgiving heart. The end goal is reconciliation. The end goal is peace. Right? For as long as it depends on you, be at peace with others, bring others to the sphere of peace, promote it, foster it in your relationships. Because there's no fun outside of peace. There's no contentment outside of peace. We should be trying to get everybody to peace, starting with salvation, which includes reconciliation. 
But even experientially, we should be trying to get everybody to a peaceful place. We should abide there. It should be so attractive to others who see us, who see God in us, like we've been studying, that they want to go. They want to share that peace. They're motivated to forgive, to have the same heart that Christ has. Yeah. So reconciliation promotes peace. Peace, of course, is that wonderful fruit the Spirit's had a lot to say about lately from this pulpit. Again, look at the passage, verse 16. Rejoice always. <sighs> you know, I'll, I'll share something with you. This is, you could care less, but I'm going to share it anyways. <clears throat> I remember having moments as a younger person, even before I was out of high school, where somehow, I don't even know what my salvation was. I'm just talking out loud. But it seems like um, it seems like sometimes we're better at rejoicing always than we are when we're older. It seems, I don't know, maybe it's just a purity of heart thing. It's just like, can't we just like not focus on all the bad stuff for a while? Can't we just not focus on the ways that other people have offended us or attacked us or um, transgressed against us or whatever? Can't we just not focus on that for a little while? Can't we just go outside in the sun and run around and smell the air and the grass and, you know, just play with other people, like, for the sake of playing and just have that kind of, I don't know, resonant happiness, resonant, you know? Why, why can't we do that anymore? Why is it so difficult sometimes? It's just because the human flesh, by the time you're 51 like me, you're just like, huh? Right? It's just like, huh? And, it, and, it, and it's sad because that's not in accord with what God wants for our lives. It says it right here, right? In verse 16, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks. These are commands. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Again, up here on the board, give thanks, eucharisteo, present tense, active voice, imperative mood, command to habitually do personally, means to give thanks in context, means to be thankful for God's good grace. So I hope you are all beginning to appreciate the nature of God's commands more and more. Because that's the nature of his commands. With the right perspective on them, they become tremendous sources of gratitude and peace. You say, wait a minute, that always struck me as like, you know, uh, like a thorn in the side. No. The commandments become the great sources of gratitude and peace. And if they're not, all I can tell you is there's something awry. You still haven't turned the corner yet. You're still a little adolescent in your faith. You're still maybe clinging to some of your um, human sensibilities, what you think, what you came to the Bible with. You know, we call that arrogance, too. You want to impose your will on the will of God. Say, no, 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 that's not true. There's no way a commandment can be a source of peace. 
Well, all I can tell you is I used to think like you, and now I think like me. And I'm way more mature now. That's all I can tell you. I'm not saying and you can imitate my faith, right? Like the Bible says. That's all I can tell you. Been there, done that. It doesn't work. It's a trap that you need to find your way out of with Holy Scripture. Anyways, with the right perspective, these commands become tremendous sources of gratitude and peace. And I believe that's vastly different than the average viewpoint of God's commands, even when we consider true believers. I think most believers are still struggling. Probably, I'm, I don't know, maybe probably many of you hearing my voice are still kind of like, eh. Beyond that little side note, this passage is so wonderful because it not only encourages us to be grateful, commands it, but it also reminds us that it is precisely what is pleasing to God. Up here on the board, to God's glory. Whenever God's grace is on full display, he is glorified, which pleases him. So let's read a passage now that amplifies the simple fact. Go to Psalm 50, verse 14. Psalm 50, verse 14. To God's glory. Whenever God's grace is on full display, he is glorified, which pleases him. Psalm 50, verse 14. Reads, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Now stated similarly, but even more clearly is doctrine. Go to verse 23. Verse 23. What does it say? It says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. All in one phrase, one sentence. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. What was the command we saw before? Give thanks in all things, all circumstances. Why? That's the will of God. Why? Because it brings glory to him. That his will, his directive will, his, his, his will is always in accordance with that one thing. He always wills things that bring glory to him. So, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Hence the command. So it makes sense, right? The mind of Christ, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. It's all the same mind. It's all the same direction of thought. It's all the same thing. I was telling someone that, uh, this week, too, <laughs> look, if you open up your Bible, the amount of clearly stated doctrine is very little compared to the narratives. Does that make sense? In other words, you hear a lot of talk about doctrine. But clearly stated doctrine um, is the minor portion of the Bible. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, 
it's not that hard to understand. There's not that much there. You might say, ah, geez, you want to read the Old Testament? I don't even know what they're talking about. Seems like there's like idioms and, you know, idiosyncrasies of the people. And it's true. And that's the difficulty. But that's just the context of the narrative. Well, this person did this and, you know, because of this, they did this and they had faith and blah, blah, blah. You know, an example or a story of a person who had faith, blah, blah. That's not clearly stated doctrine. That's called a narrative. That's a story about somebody who had faith. If you want to understand what faith is, maybe you go to Hebrews 11. Right? You want to understand clearly stated doctrine, you find places in the Bible that have clearly stated doctrine. Like this. Look at verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. That's clearly stated doctrine. Do you understand the difference? A narrative might be, and I'm going to make this up, I was walking down the street the other day and I was so grateful to God for the blessings in my life. That's me expressing faith. That's me expressing gratitude. Do you understand? That's not clearly stated doctrine. That's me expressing, applying doctrine to my life. Do you understand the difference? Don't ever make, and this is the warning I gave the person, don't ever make the mistake of making doctrine out of a narrative. People love to do that. Cults are born of it. False doctrines are pre created from it. Hyperdoctrinalization goes on and on because that's the mistake that they make. They say, see, this person did this. So, in their circumstance, that they thought was the best thing to do. That's, so that's what they did. Is it clearly stated doctrine? No. The example I gave the person was, Paul said, geez, I'm so glad I didn't baptize any of you. Except you two over here. What have people done? See, there's no need for water baptism anymore. They took a narrative and made a doctrine out of it. Wrong, 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 wrong. Dead wrong. Don't ever take a narrative and make a doctrine out of it. You're looking at a doctrinal statement. Make the distinction in your soul. The whole point of all that little sidebar, when you get right down to it, folks, listen to my voice. When you get right down to it, there's not that much. There's enough, but there's not that much where you have to be a PhD in theology, which I don't even believe in half the time. I think you, you're taking on someone else's viewpoint, but that's another story. There's enough to sink your teeth into, but there's not that much. And once you keep reading your Bible, like, hey, that sounds an awful lot like this. It is, that's because it is. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's not a God of confusion. Do you understand what I'm getting at, folks? It's not that hard. There's not that much mm, doctrine. This one's pretty simple, right? Okay, God is glorified when we give thanks. Okay, that's something I can live by. Is it consistent with the rest of Holy Scripture? What do you think? Done. Chalk it up. Doctrine 101. And what do you see in the Bible then? You see people being thankful all the time in the Bible. What's the doctrine? You're looking at it. That's it. So Thanksgiving, a concept like Thanksgiving, it's not that hard to understand. It really isn't. 
Verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me to the one who orders his way rightly. I will show the salvation of God, the deliverance of God. God's word clearly states that when we offer thanksgiving, he is glorified. We say thank you, last time I checked, when someone gives us something. In other words, grace. We call that grace. We say thanks when someone's gracious to us. Up here on the board. To God's glory then. Whenever God's grace is on full display, he is glorified, which pleases him. After class, someone's going to do that, okay? Whenever God's grace is on full display, he is glorified, which pleases him. We just learned that in Holy Scripture. So if we step back and consider God on the grandest of stages, and we ponder how large he is, I mean how vast he is, it's God. With whatever faculties we have been given to conceptualize him, even though we are limited in our abilities, we are encouraged, and this has come up in the last month, we are encouraged to, quote, see him. To seek purity in heart. When we, look at, when we look at him, the vastness of him, the largeness of God, we look at him with purity of heart. Up here on the board, Matthew 5.8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When you see him, it evokes thanksgiving. That's the point the Spirit's getting at. Who are these who are pure in heart then? Because I really want to be grateful this Thanksgiving. I want to be thankful this Thanksgiving. I want to be blessed that way. So who are those whose heart is pure? It is those whose motives are undefiled, whose thoughts are holy, and whose conscience is clean. Who's the pure? Those whose motives are undefiled, whose thoughts are holy, and whose conscience is clean. In other words, the purer your heart, the more you will see God experientially. Does that make sense? It's like a washing. It's like a cleansing. Any way to get that out of there real quick? No? Is it going to... No? Anybody? Is that driving anybody crazy? Anybody? Come on, answer. Yeah, then somebody pluck that thing out. You go up on a chair? No, not you. You're in the back. Oh. Sorry, folks online, we're having a light flicker. Just shut one of them off, or just, yeah, just, well, turn it down. Come on, guys, this isn't rocket science. I'm trying to teach a message here. No, it's not that one. No, it's that one in the corner. Just shut the lights off. Yeah, come on, man. That's fine, yeah, they're just going to have to live with it. Is that okay, guys? Yeah. I should be a deacon, huh? <sighs> Who's got the pure heart? You good? Again, it is those whose motives are undefiled, whose thoughts are holy, and whose conscience is clean. In other words, the purer your heart, the more you will see God experientially. That's the point. 
And this is all about thanksgiving. The more you see him, the more grateful you are for him. So that's what he always wants. All his directive will is to that end. I want you to see me. Do you understand? I've revealed myself to you. I want you to see me for who I am to whatever degree possible. Why? Because I want you to overflow with gratitude. I want to see how much I love you. I want to see how much you... I want you to see how much I love you. Did I say that right? I'm having a hard time. These people have gone dark on me over there. It's creepy. <laughs> Melissa's starting to do weird stuff over there. Melissa, I can still see you a little bit. Just saying. Right? The more you see him, the more blessed you are. Hopefully you see his, the way he works. That's the nature of his commands. Again, the purer your heart, the more you will see him experientially. The more you see God in his grace, the more grateful you will be. This is the pattern we see throughout the whole Bible. Go to Psalm 107.1. Psalm 107, verse 1. Psalm 107, verse 1. So this is a pattern. Look at it. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. How about that? Psalm 107, 1. Weren't you already in Psalms? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. As we noted on Thursday evening, love is the motivator of grace. And in God's grace economy, it's the tie that binds us together as family. Well, we are a part of God's eternal family. And for perspective's sake, our families on earth are temporal. Remember in... in, uh, Heaven, there's no marriages, there's only, and there's only one big family. There's no more marriage in, in heaven. Some of you are like, woo, just kidding. The fact that we are invited by grace through faith into the sphere of God's love is a boundless source of gratitude for us. The very fact that he's shown us himself and then invited us to himself through reconciliation, the restoration of peace is a huge, massive source of gratitude for us. Each day he keeps us alive here on earth is an opportunity to give thanks to him, to his glory. So not only do we see him, but others see him through us. Every day becomes a day to point to God and give thanks. And as we do so, others take notice. Up here on the board, just a friendly reminder, not to be quippy, but an attitude of gratitude is infectious. An attitude of gratitude is infectious. Go to Psalm 118.24. Psalm 118.24. Hopefully you see what the Spirit's trying to do here give you more to think about in terms of gratitude. So much 
to be grateful for. He's revealed himself to us. He commands that we align ourselves to him through commandments, things that we do habitually. And lo and behold, this attitude is infectious. Psalm 118, 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Sounds a little bit like 1 Thessalonians 5, doesn't it? Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. Doesn't it little, I mean, whoa, wait a minute. You mean it really is the mind of Christ everywhere? Duh. I just said, there's not that much. Right? The, the Bible, the vast majority of the, the Bible is a narrative. The doctrines, I'm not saying it's not, they're not there, but do you understand what I'm saying? They just keep coming back up. Different circumstances, different um, writers, different personalities even, as writers, different context. But it's the same. We literally just read this same concept in 1 Thessalonians 5. Again, verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I always think about that hymn, right? This is the day. And uh, if Scott decides he still wants to do the music ministry, once we're back up in action, we've got to sing that. Amen? Right? I mean, come on. Where would you be right now if you weren't here? What, waiting for the game to come on? No, for real. You know what I'm getting at? Where would you be if you weren't studying the Word of God? I don't mean just here. I mean just studying the Word of God. Just spending your Sunday morning with like-minded believers who actually love Jesus Christ, who don't feign uh, affection for Him. I love Jesus. Hey, do you believe in Jesus? I do. I do. Your actions speak so loud, I don't hear a word you're saying. You say you love him, you do nothing to his glory. Nothing. You just say that so grandma leaves you alone. So that your parents leave you alone. You just say it. Because you don't want to be cut off from the umbilical cord. <laughs> you don't get that? I don't know. We have so much to be grateful for. Let's venture forth now into the New Testament for some passages on our topic of thanksgiving. Go to Colossians 3.1. This chapter is a mind blow. I can't, I'm going to want to stop in a thousand places, but I can't. I think as you read it, you will too. And maybe that'll be, you know, encouragement for you to go later on today, you know, to read it on your own, maybe a little slower, maybe with a little more thought, a little more application to your own life. <clears throat> Colossians 3.1. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on, the thing, on things that are above. There you go. There are so many distractions down here. Let's call it white noise, shall we? B 
because none of them have any eternal relevance. It's all wood, hay, and straw. It's all garbage. It's just distractions. In our houses, outside of our houses, uh, during Thanksgiving, during Christmas, during the regular, I don't know, during football season, baseball season, basketball season, soccer season, NASCAR season. You know what I'm saying? The season of the, I don't know, pick your favorite uh, Hulu channel or Netflix thing. Oh, I've been binge watching. Oh, good for you. <laughs> That's that smell. I could smell it from here. Been binge watching. Isn't that wonderful? No. You smell like a sewer pipe. And now you want to talk to me about it. I know, I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. But let me just tell you about this one part. This is so funny. Started out at a strip joint. What? Wait a what? How is this even remotely godly? Started out this guy and this girl were crawling out of bed, and she was doing the walk of shame, and it was so funny. What? Why'd it get quiet on that one? Everybody's like, how's he know? How does he know? <laughs> I don't know. Don't do that to me. It's happened way too many times in my life. People are like, I don't like that guy who was talking about me. I wasn't talking about you. The spirit was talking to you. And you just didn't like it, apparently. So you did what every coward does, and you blame the man. Whatever. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then. There's that Greek word in duo. We just saw this this past week. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In other words, that love is the tie that binds. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And what? Be thankful. How does this happen to us? Through the word of God. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Remember, the attitude of gratitude is infectious. 
with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's how you let the world or the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns in spiritual songs. Verse 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. After reading this passage, do you not get the sense of the ubiquity of this gratitude? Do you not get the scope of it and how far its effects reach into your life, your peace, your happiness? Up here in the board. Being grateful, and think about this, this Thanksgiving, being grateful is the source of so many blessings. It's when we lose that thing. It's when we lose this abiding in gratitude, when we stop being grateful, when we become those brats, you know, like the average American. What have you done for me lately? Yeah, 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 I know. I know I got all these things I've been calling blessings, and, but I want more because my neighbor, the Joneses, they have more. And if God, if you really loved me, you would give me more. You would do more for me. What? 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 Oh, the, the, the turkey wasn't done right. Ruined Thanksgiving. Geez, last time I checked, Thanksgiving has nothing to do with food. Not that food, anyways. Jesus Christ said, my food is, the sus- is my sustenance is him to do the will of God. That's my sustenance. That's my food. Thanksgiving's not about a turkey, you turkey. It's not. I mean, come on. We're going to be brats. Being grateful is the source of so many blessings. So, it makes sense that the Bible consistently encourages us, commands us even, to hold fast to that gratitude we felt at salvation. Remember that day? Some of you remember the day. Some of you remember the general vicinity. Some of you are way too old to remember yesterday. But you know what happened somewhere back there, right? John's not here. I can't pick on him. (laughs) Right? The Bible consistently encourages us to cling to the gratitude that we have regarding our salvation. I I know so because I teach it, too. It comes from this pulpit an awful lot. Again, the Bible consistently says, hold fast to that gratitude that you had at salvation. And that gratitude we feel every time the Spirit reminds us of where we came from and the state in which Christ rescued us from. Do we forget so soon that we start murmuring about a burnt turkey? or an undercooked, undercooked turkey. Oh, ah, what's this? I get the drumsticks? I don't even like dark meat. This is bogus. Why am I sitting at the kids' table? Why is there no more grandma's stuffing? This is bull. <laughs> Take that gratitude. If you, can, if you can't, I don't, I'm very sad for you, by the way, in this moment. Take the gratitude you sense for your salvation right now. Hold it for yourself. And then this. 
up here on the board, stay the course. Does that make sense? Like, hold on to the gospel. Hold on to your salvation. It was a miracle. Have you forgotten? You were lame, hopeless, helpless, dead in the gutter. How about that? Is that enough for gratitude? Is that enough to stay the course? Here's some scripture on this. Go to Ephesians 5, verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Stay the course. Ephesians 5, 15. Ephesians 5.15, look carefully then how you walk. Look at your daily life. Look at your daily thoughts. Look at your daily decisions. Look carefully then how you walk. Look at how your life compares to the commandments of God. That's what he's getting at. Look carefully then how you walk. At not as unwise but is wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Didn't we just note that up here on the board? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, right? What's the will of the Lord? Don't be, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, here's a perfect example of it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you have any questions, what is that? Give thanks in all circumstances. Gratitude is the source of so many blessings. Who are you to bring glory to God? You were dead in a gutter. You've been lifted up. Now you can bring glory to the Holy One, the Holy God, the sovereign, just, righteous God of the universe. He gives you that privilege. Yeah. How about that? How about that's His will? How about that? He says, I'm going to lift you up out of the gutter. I guess in a colloquial way of saying, at least you can do is show a little gratitude. Instead of complaining about the turkey. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, look at verse 17. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm teaching you it this morning. And do not get drunk with wine. Some people are like, yeah, it's Thanksgiving. I got the day off for Thanksgiving and the next day. So I can tie one on. <laughs> For real? That's your motivation? You can get drunk? What is this? You get, what, you, get a vac you get a vacation, so it's a vacation from God? What does the Bible say? Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. 
but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Remember, we just, looked, we just read the parallel in Colossians 3, right? That was the parallel. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you recall our work last year, I think it was last year on Ephesians 5.21, this idea of submitting to one another, you recall that this statement means that we actually become the source of gratitude to God for others. In other words, I'm going to submit, I'm going to become a servant of yours to you. Grace flows through me. I become a servant to you. I submit to your well-being. And who do you thank? You might thank me, which is cool. But really, you thank God. You see God in me. Therefore, you thank God. And that brings glory to God. I'm just an instrument of righteousness, an implement, a vessel of mercy. I'm not worthy of that, of that function, but yet here he is. I'm going to pour some grace into your lap. It's going to overflow into the lap of others. That other person is going to go, praise be to God. Amen? That's how it works. We call that God's economy. Round and round it goes. That's what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We become the source of gratitude to God for others. In other words, when we submit to one another, we are agreeing to be used as instruments of righteousness, Romans 6, for the conveyance of God's grace. And this harkens back to Thursday's message on God's economy, of course, and that with grace as the currency and with willing participants, the economy goes round and round. And as grace passes through each one of us onto the laps of others, a.k.a. we submit to one another, we are blessed and God is glorified. That's the beauty of God's economy, as we've been noting. Look at verse 20 again. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, with God's economy in full view, let's step back. Okay, so, yeah, we're starting to get a good idea of this is how it works, and now we start talking about this and that, and we can see it's all part of the machinations, if you would, the movement, the flow of grace. You can see God's economy in full force. You see willing participants, instruments of righteousness. God gets all the glory. Grace is overflowing and overflowing and overflowing. God gets all the glory. We're blessed just to be a part of it. Because we were dead in the gutter, if you remember. So we're grateful. That's God's economy. So with that full, in full view, we begin to realize how very rock solid it is, actually. Start saying, wait a minute, this thing's like, you know, perfectly architected. Duh. I mean, the whole thing fits together like a, you know, boom, just boom, puzzle piece, cemented, boom. You start reading your Bible, you're like, that makes total sense now. This is, this is what he's after? This is what grace looks like? This is how it works? Yeah, it's not, grace isn't that garbage that 
unfortunately, modern Christianity teaches, which is just appealing to man's sensibilities. Oh, God graced me out. How so? Gave me a new house. Have you been studying the Bible? No. How do you know it's from him? I don't. I just want it to be. Because I want to be holy as well as unholy. I want to be holy in my arrogance, you see. What? You're not, you, so you're, you're admitting you're not functioning in God's economy. Because we just mentioned, what, 20, 30 minutes ago? The way in is through the Word of God. The way to understanding the will of God is through the Word of God. You get none of this without doing what you're doing right now, without reading your own Bible, without prayerful introspection, self-examination, upon the knowledge of the Bible. None of this happens. It's not magic. You know, you don't go to church one day and you're like, wee, I understand the whole thing. No, you've got to grow up. You have to, to, to grow up. So with God's economy in view, we begin to realize how very rock solid it is and that his ways are perfect, that the whole thing is boom, right there. It's grace, not that other kind that I just poked fun at. Not the kind that says grace is whatever satisfies my human sensibilities. Not that thing. God's grace in full view. And we begin to realize that God's ways are perfect, that strength and conviction, and therefore faith, peace, and love, when they originate with His grace, is unbeatable. And we begin to realize that being commanded to give thanks, the way the Bible teaches us, is actually an expression of love from our Father in heaven. Because it's His commandments that get us ratcheted into that economy where grace flows freely, where we're blessed out by just being in the path of it, you understand? being used to His glory. He says, come on in. I command you in here. You have to leave that other stuff behind. My commandment is you come here. In other words, God is gracious and loving enough to inform His children of what is best for them, even if his children don't appreciate it right away. So here's some encouragement from Holy Scripture. Go to Hebrews 12, verse 5. Hebrews 12, verse 5. I hope you understand what the Spirit's trying to build up in you this Thanksgiving week. Trying to get your heads on straight again. Trying to give you good perspective. Perspective that protects you. Word that garrisons or guards your hearts, that gives you that peace to do so. Hebrews 12.5 Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. So if you get a little loose, you know, on the commandments, you're going to get disciplined. Even the discipline to get you back into, to get you slotted back in, is from love. 
That's why if you have good parents growing up, not everybody does, you were blessed. And you should appreciate it. Verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. That's what you want. You learn to appreciate it. You say, oh my goodness, thank you for the discipline because I was going into left field. I was complaining about the turkey. I lost my sight. I lost my way. Thank you for the discipline. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Good question. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, that's an indicator that you're not even saved. We studied that not so long ago. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Get back here. If the only way you're going to listen is if I discipline you, then that's what I will do. And that's another thing, another area we should be uber grateful for. Just like I said, if you had good parents, not everybody had. You should be very grateful. Verse 11, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that beautiful? For later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. One of the great curses, I hate to point this out on a Sunday morning when it's all about Thanksgiving, but I'm going to do it anyways. (laughs) One of the great curses of bad parenting is the children struggle with this. Later on, they're missing this. It might take them a little while longer than the next person. You understand? You're breeding a certain, you're yielding the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's the beauty of God. We go through the discipline, it yields fruit called peace. And who here doesn't want peace? Some of you might recall that I taught a whole series on the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The gist of that series up here on the board This is from two years ago. Peace from obedience. If we want peace, we must obey God's commands. Obedience implies very practical lifestyle choices, not just mental assent to obedience. While we can't fake it till we make it, we can at least humble ourselves, learning humility through life itself. God gives faith, Romans 12, 3, that leads to obedience, that leads to peace. That series was wonderful because it stitched two concepts together that the human flesh would never dream of doing, namely obedience and peace. Human flesh is, "Uh uh-uh. I want mine. If I want peace, if I want happiness, it certainly isn't obeying God. It's obeying me. I'm the sovereign. I'm the flesh. I'm the sovereign. I'll find my own way, thank you very much. But that beautiful series stitched together obedience 
obeying his commands with peace, the ultra or the ultimate goal of it. So here's another principle from that series back in the summer of 2018, if you're interested. I think it was in June time frame. Up here on the board, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Peace is a function of righteousness. Remember we're learning that? In other words, if you're unrighteous, you don't get the blessing of peace. You might say you have it. You might say you have peace and happiness. and Oh, I'm so happy and I'm so peaceful. and I'm so. Then why are you planning on getting drunk this Thanksgiving? Why are you trying to numb it all out? If you're so happy and you're so peaceful, oh, so this is just, oh, so you're just trying to convince yourself and others that you have peace and happiness. So this is just a big farce. It's a facade. Because you're living in unrighteousness. Peace is a function of righteousness. Righteousness is a function of obedience, of faith. Both at salvation when it is imputed and experientially when it is imparted, peace reigns in the heart and soul of God. Food for thought this Thanksgiving week. Again, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now with that said, the writer of Hebrews goes on to encourage us with a string of commands. We're almost out of time here, so I'll finish up here in a moment. Look at verse 12. Three commands in a row. He says, therefore, therefore, you want the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, lift. It's, in the com- it's a command. Lift and strengthen are actually the same word here. But it's the way that it's translated in English. Lift, strengthen. Those are commands. Your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Verse 13, make straight, command, pass for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive, command, for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. Three commands in three verses. And after each command, you know what? There was a blessing in tow. Hope you saw them. Command. Blessing. Command, blessing. Command, blessing. What can we say about commands then? Commands lead to blessings. To obey means to be righteous, which leads to peace. Who doesn't want that? It's like the ultimate. After love, that's the ultimate blessing. Because you could have nothing. If you have love and peace, I mean, what else is there? That's what everybody wants in their life. Last time I checked, it's how God designed us. So after each one of those commands, there was a blessing in tow. So I hope you see the pattern the Spirit illuminated at the start of this message. It's the same. It's the same. Obedience to a command results in blessing for you and God being glorified. Jump forward a bit in the same passage, verse 28. Verse 28 just... Turn the corner now. It's closing up shop. Happy Thanksgiving. Verse 28. 12:28. Therefore, let us be grateful. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship 
with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. No break here, by the way, in the original language, of course. Let brotherly love continue. Let that thing be the tie that binds. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Don't let your, don't let your love stop there, then. Gratitude, love, living for others. This is God's economy, my friends. This is God's economy. And you know what? It's a privilege to partake in it. It's a privilege. So as we venture forth into our national holiday, namely Thanksgiving, let us be properly motivated by our own Thanksgiving. Let us be properly motivated by our own thanksgiving. Let us be ever grateful to the one who chose to save us when we still didn't deserve or when we didn't deserve saving. Let us remember where we came from and even where others are still lost. Be at peace, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Love and let your love be known so the whole world can see that you are disciples of Christ Jesus. Let's close with one last psalm. Literally, the name of the psalm is a psalm for giving thanks. Go to Psalm 100. 100. Short little psalm, but it's a perfect place to end this message. Perfect send-off for Thanksgiving week. I know you all are just going to be missing me so bad. It's going to be terrible, but be grateful for this message. People over here are like, I don't know how grateful I can be. I've been sitting in the dark. I've been going to the wrong verses. I can't see. i got glaucoma. My arthritis is acting up now. Probably be a bad turkey. I can just see it. This whole, this whole week's just spinning up to be a mess. Psalm 100, verse 1. Psalm of thanksgiving, or giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of being reminded through the word of God of the fact that we've just got so much to be thankful for. May we never become familiar with it, but rather take it with us as you see fit, back to our, the privacy of our own souls, our families, and even our extended families this holiday season. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.